feel like we should have known this already Were we even taught this at all? and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. And we are here today to talk about some things you should have learned in school but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we talk about how we're still watching old 90s TV shows that I didn't see and now we're watching. Yeah, Austin, we started watching Are You Afraid of the Dark? And he's like, this is stupid. I don't want to watch it. And then I came in and he was like, turning on are you afraid of the dark so i think i'm getting him to the correct side of things it's like i knew you wanted to watch it so i was doing it to be sure. nice i certainly wasn't uh-huh. doing it because i wanted to watch it that would be crazy yeah it definitely um we ha- are about to get to the dollhouse episode and if you weren't are you afraid of the dark kid so there was this thing on facebook a while back that was like what is the first like movie memory you have that horrified you enough to stick in your brain and i was like it's not a movie it's this scene from the dollhouse episode it's the one with the hands you know what i'm talking about if you were uh awesome as a kid and the other thing right now let's see i uh, got a t- couple things going on one is i have long covid i never got actual covid i did obviously but uh so i've got that uh which for me basically means narcolepsy and brain fog <laughs> so that's fun um but i didn't see anybody during the contagious period thankfully it just yeah i know when i got it and i just happened to not leave the house for the following several weeks because i don't like going places but after i was contagious and while i managed marion awake the whole time i went blonde it's true she's blonde now yeah i actually have like hair that people would argue with me about my hair color in high school they would say it was black and i'm like okay literally it's my hair And it's as dark brown as you can get without being black. But I am blonde now. And I'm going to be going in in a few weeks to go full platinum. We went through a couple times. I sat I didn't get a photo of this for Austin. uh, At the center point of the hair color process, I looked like Draco Malfoy. Yeah. So I am blonde. And I was blonde when I was 18. I loved it. And so this is just, it's very exciting. And contrary to popular belief, it is not to cover up my grays. I have a rogue from X-Men-like shock of gray hair at the front, which I actually love, but I'm not a teacher anymore. And so I'm not afraid to do the stuff that I always wanted to do, such as go as blonde as I can and see what happens. And on the Austin hair front, I'm still going bald. (laughs) Still happening. (laughs) Well, I mean, we could make the process go faster by making you go blonde. I don't know. I could do it at home. It'll go real fast. Your, I mean, your skin all, will go, all of it's going to fall your out. Your skin My will skin go with will it. Blister and burn. You'll be left with nothing but bare skull and perhaps some brain, which goes along with oh, my piece today. It kind of goes Hashtag along with my piece. Segways. That's right, because you get to go first, don't you? Do I? Uh, probably. I don't even. We're doing this every two weeks now, and neither of us have. Um, I've good got, memories. I've got the COVID brain fog. Other than that, I have like a really good memory. For things of above, like, five minutes? For ba- Basically, if, if I have done something wrong, she's very good at remembering it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Our cats are at the door yelling at us. Yeah. All right, but I guess I'll go ahead and go first. Yeah, you, I, it is true. You go first. Okay. So I'm really excited because today I am talking about one of the topics I had in mind when we first started the podcast, one I wanted to talk about the whole time. You all know that I love talking about psychology. I took psychology, psychology, like it's two words. I I was saying psych and the rest came out. Um, I took psych class in high school. I took a psych class in college and I was like, oh man, I love this. I went and took another psych class, but then he said that teenage girls get pregnant to trap their men. And so I walked out of the classroom. So I didn't get the psych minor I was considering, but there are some stories that always stuck with me from psych class, like the Kitty Genovese and Bystander Effect, which I talked about way back in the first 50 episodes, I think. And the Feral Kids, which I haven't talked about yet. Today, I'm talking about one of my other favorites. And also, Austin can tell you I was like screaming at my computer during it. I mean, you're always screaming at your computer about something. But this one wasn't about, you know, me being morally outraged. This was me going, 
everything I learned in psych class was untrue. Untrue. Because remember, Kitty Genovese, people did call the police. People were were trying to help. She didn't even die alone. Um, All of these things that we learned about in psych class as like factual, this is absolutely true, has turned out either recently, like in the case of Kitty Genovese, when the New York Times finally printed their retraction, um, or that we've known all along, like IQ tests and uh, some personality tests, maybe they shouldn't be seen as necessarily factual without some more digging. However, Phineas Gage and his injury both are real. (gasps) Phineas Gage, my ukulele is named after him was born in Grafted County, New Hampshire in 1823. And despite the fact that he was not raised in a wealthy family, he became literate. This guy was like really smart, really a good leader. People liked him. He was on top of things. His life was together. This guy was going to rise above and be successful. We don't know much else about his childhood. In July 1848, when he was 25 years old, he worked in railway construction as a blasting foreman. What? That's the best job title. Yes, but it may not be the best job to have, as you will soon see. The people he worked for said he was efficient, smart, energetic, and hardworking. He was so hardworking and he cared so much about being successful that he even got his own tamping iron made. Now, tamping is kind of like when you pack things down. Okay. And so tamping irons were to pack things down like over the blasting powder because you don't want just raw blasting powder out. So he had his own tamping iron made to his own specifications so that he could be the best blasting foreman he could be. That's very important. Okay. A doctor who knew him before and after his injury said similar things. He was healthy, active, strong, willful, and had a nervobilious temperament because this doctor really believed in phrenology, (laughs) which I will be talking about in another episode and was my plan for this episode until I remembered Phineas Gage was part of that. And obviously. (laughs) Um, So nervobilious basically means smart and had a lot of physical and mental endurance. Okay. I got to remember that word, nervobilious. There's a hyphen in it. Oh, that hyphenated word, compound word. Then it came September 12th, 1848. Phineas worked for the Rutland and Burlington Railroad outside Cavendish, Vermont. The tamping iron he was working with, he got momentarily distracted, is what the story says. Not uh, basically because his crewmen were goofing off and he was telling them to stop or they called his name and he looked over. Something any one of us would do, even if we knew we were doing a dangerous job, like kind of like when you're hammering a nail and you look away for a second, you don't think about your thumb. Also, he'd been doing this. It was muscle memory. The tamping iron at this point created a spark and the blasting powder exploded. Oh, no. Have you ever heard the story? No. You've never heard? Oh, my goodness. I know, like, overtones. I know that that he done had a hole in his head. That's about it. Yeah. And guys, I'm going to get down and dirty with what happened to him. Like, they did not talk about this in psych class, probably for good reason. But that's what you're here for. And we're rated explicit for a reason. So, the tamping iron went through the left side of his face, through the lower jaw, went to just outside of his upper jaw. I'm I'm often seeing like hand illustrations, which I'm sure are very helpful. It scratched his cheekbone, then somehow managed to go behind his left eye, through the left side of his brain, and out the top front of his skull. Whoa. This iron was 1.25 inches in diameter. Three point or three foot seven inches long and weighed over 13 pounds. It got blasted so hard it landed point down in the ground 80 feet away. Damn. With visible brain stuck to Ooh. it. You may have heard about this cult referred to as the American crowbar case or heard that a railroad tie went through his brain. But what you're actually looking at is a beautiful tamping iron. The pointed end, this is not normal for them because they were usually a little bit more like pencils, like, you know, straight, straight, straight point. Yep. Well, he had this made. So it went from being 1.25 inches down to just a quarter of an inch at the point. And the taper from one quarter of an inch to 1.25 inches took 11 inches. So it was this very long and narrow point that took up about a third of this whole tamping iron. That is probably a big part of what saved him because it was able to slide very easily and create 
a hole that grew kind of naturally, as, as naturally as yeah. that, that can grow, rather than a sudden blunt force through his skull. So the fact that he wanted to be really good at his job and had this made to his very specific specifications is a big part of what made him not be dead at this point. But obviously his whole crew was like, oh shit, he's dead. And they he fell to the ground. He starts having convulsions. They're like, oh shit. So they go over to put him in the ox cart and take him back to town. Well, he sits up and starts walking around and starts talking to them pretty normally. And he's like, guys, I think something happened. And they were like, mm-hmm. uh-huh. So they did tell him what happened. They were like, your, your iron is over there, bro. Like They told him what happened. And he was like, whoa, cool. He's like, I probably need to see a doctor. And they were like, yeah, we're pretty sure <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. So they put him in the ox cart. He's sitting up and just chatting with them the whole time. They get to the hotel. They sit him like in front of the hotel. And this doctor named, where did you go? Name? Edward H. Williams comes up on his cart and you know at this point Phineas is sitting in a chair outside and the doctor looks down Phineas looks up and says doctor here is business enough for you (laughs) (laughs) which the doctor said was like the understatement of his career because it basically means you know I'm gonna keep you busy just for a little bit here and he said that looking down from the cart, he could see Phineas's brain pulsating through his skull. And I did look this up because I was like, do brains pulsate? That sounds like, an, like a hyperbolic statement. No, they do. Uh, the Parkinson's Association talked about how brains pulsate with your heartbeat. Huh. Um, and also how if you were to hold a brain that had not been treated yet, it would just go through your head, hands like jello. That's disgusting. I love it. I know, right? So the doctor's in there and he's like, do to do cleaning up. And Phineas, there's a crowd around him and Phineas is loving it. He's like, guys, guess what happened? The doctor is like, sure, bro. Someone attacked you. They're lying to you. No, that was really what happened. But then Phineas suddenly stands up and goes completely silent and then vomits everywhere. And the pressure of the vomit, as the doctor put it, made about a half a teacup full of his brain get pushed out. Ah. Because Americans will do anything to avoid the metric system. Damn skippy we will. Half a teacup full of brain just push itself out. Like under the ground. It splatted. That evening, another doctor took over. John Martin Harlow. He was the one from earlier with the neurobilious thing. Um, And he said Phineas, quote, recognized me at once and said he hoped he was not much hurt. So I don't know what Dr. Williams had told him. (laughs) He also said, quote, his person and the bed on which he was laid was literally one gore of blood. And because of where he'd been injured, he was swallowing blood, which meant he was puking up blood about every quarter hour. So Harlow and Williams are both like, all right, let's, well, I don't know what we're going to do. Let's just try it. So they started cleaning out the clots from the bottom and the top, pulling out bone fragments, pulling out chunks of bone from his brain. And removing at least an ounce of the brain by itself. So they got like a fucking spoon and they are digging out this guy's brain ah. to get all of the stuff out of it. And then they were like, um, just wrap it up. They put some gauze on it, basically. He had to wear a nightcap. <laughs> um, that's actually apparently a very common way they would treat head injuries back then. Like like, like the old-fashioned like nightcap. Yeah. Like, what? Um. Apparently that was actually a really common way they treated brain injuries was, or not head injuries, because it kept stuff from getting in them, but it also kept it so it was breathable, but it was covered. And they're like, um, don't lie down. It's like, that's all they could think was, we don't want you bleeding more. It's just don't lie down. They, neither one of them thought he was going to live. So Phineas is just like, do, 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 still awake, not going to sleep, still talking. The only real problem they were finding with him at this point was the effects of blood loss, because he was just... He was still like with it and able to talk and talking about how, you know, he doesn't need to see any visitors. He'll see them at work in a few days, which is kind of heartbreaking because I don't think like he had not grasped how bad this injury was, whether or not someone had told him. I don't think you can fully grasp a tamping iron went through your head and out your brain. It's like you got shot by a javelin gun. Mm hmm. Uh, For the next couple of weeks, though, he kind of went back and forth between acting normal and acting weird. On day 13, he went comatose, and anything that could started growing, as the doctor put it, the doctor called it fungi, which is basically abscesses and infections. They had the coffin ready for him. 
Well, Dr. Harlow was like, fuck it, and just started lopping off any of the fungus. And that included part of his brain, ah. the area around that exit wound, the area around the entrance wound, and then the muscles from the exit wound, um, so at the top of his head, all the way down to his nose. And that is what did it. Eight ounces of bloody, smelly pus came out of that hole. See, this is the other reason Phineas Gage didn't die. He just happened to have one of the very few doctors who knew how to handle brain abscesses. He was trained in them, most were not, and he had also at one point been a combat medic. 24 days after his injury, Phineas could get up and take a few steps. A month later, he was walking around the house, and then not long after that, the doctor went out of town, wasn't monitoring him, so he was like, bye guys, and he left. (laughs) Um, He would come back. But he would leave the house saying, I want to go to my family in New Hampshire. Remember, he's in Vermont. And he would go outside without appropriate clothing for the weather and would get really bad at his friends who were like, can you at least put a coat on? Can you put some shoes on? He was like, fuck you. I'm going to New Hampshire. And they're like, you're in Vermont. You can't just go to New Hampshire. Although they are really close. Maybe he could. I don't know. Um, And that's what Dr. Um, Harlow was worried about is this guy is now out of control. Ten weeks after the incident, he did actually get to go to New Hampshire, be with his parents. Uh, they say that he was weak and acting childishly, which, I mean, yeah. his his brain hurts. Yeah. But then he began to get better. He started being able to ride horses again, and he started helping out around the farm. About a year after the injury, he could do a half day of heavy farm labor and showed only slight memory impairment, according to his mother. Wow. In November... Professor of surgery at Harvard Medical School, Henry Jacob Bigelow, brought Phineas out to Boston to study him and then present him to the Boston Society for Medical Improvement. But Phineas, despite his amazing improvement, could not get his job back. So he was like, shit, what am I going to do? Well, he's in Boston. People are hearing about him. So he gets a call from, you know him, you hate him, P.T. Barnum. No. Luckily, this was... Not during his freak show circus days. This was when he still had the American Museum. I do have a P.T. Barnum episode also from fairly early on. You can go hear what a dick he is. So he did actually go work for P.T. Barnum for a while. Never in the freak show circuit, just in the museum. And then there's some evidence that he decided to exhibit himself for a while. But then he's like, this is really not making money. I don't look interesting. I don't sound interesting. He was actually extremely good looking even after this injury. Like he lost an eye. And had it, it was droopy, and that was, pr- and he had a uh, protrusion on the top of his head where his brain was kind of, you know, still sticking out. But he was actually a really good-looking guy, and he showed no, like, he wasn't interesting for this. So he's like, okay, shit, I'm not making any money at this. The railroad company won't hire me. What am I gonna do? So he started working as like a stagecoach guy, and then somebody who like liked him was like, hey, I'm opening a stagecoach company in Chile, the company, the country. Do you want to come work for me in Chile? And Phineas was like, bet. And off to Chile he went. Uh, And it had been four years since his injury at that point, and he was considered fully recovered. Or was he? As the Surgeon's Hall Museum puts it, quote, there were two versions of Phineas Gage. The first was born in July 1823 in New Hampshire in the USA. The second Phineas Gage emerged on September 13th, 1848. This is the version of it that we heard in school. Dr. Harlow said, quote, previous to the injury, although untrained in the schools, he possessed a well-balanced mind and was looked upon by those who knew him as a shrewd, smart businessman, very energetic and persistent in executing all his plans of operation. However, after the injury, Harlow said, quote, he is fitful, irreverent, indulging in times at the grossest profanity, which was not previously his custom. I don't know what that's like manifesting but little deference for his fellows, impatient of restraint or advice when it conflicts with his desires, at time pertinaciously obstinate, yet capricious and vacillating, devising many plans of future operations which are no sooner arranged than they are abandoned in turn for others appearing more feasible. A child in his intellectual capacity and manifestations, he has the animal passions of a strong man. In other words... He has the desires of a man and some thoughts of a man, but he acts more like a kid. Okay. Dr. Harlow's a dick. Yeah. The claims continue that though he tried to continue working, he couldn't keep jobs very long because of his temper. But he got invited to work in Chile by a guy who liked him. Like, this guy was willing to move him to a different country. So while he was in Chile, he he did begin to show signs of epilepsy. He, He lost that job because... 
can't have epilepsy and do that job, yeah. um, especially when you couldn't treat it like back then. Uh, he ended up in California. He died on May 21st, 1860 at the age of 36. Dr. Harlow didn't find out about the death until six years later when he reached out to the family and asked to have the skull exhumed, which, if you ask me, is one of the few ethical ways to get a human skull. He had family permission and was using it for scientific research. However, the um, at least for a while, the tamping iron was buried with him. He did have the tamping iron for the rest of his life. <laughs> he is photographed with it. So we're going to kind of go back and forth now from things we learned in school to things that are true. Okay. This part is all scattered because this is when I was screaming at my computer. I tried to get it into an order and it really just didn't work. So as we know from my Mike the Headless Chicken episode, this is all like tying back together. Our brain stems control most basic functions. But that tamping iron going through Phineas's head and call it causing a personality change rather than anything else kind of made scientists go, huh. Because phrenology was going out of style, so they were trying to figure out how does the brain work if it's not just a series of like organs that do different things. Except... Things never really end up smoothly in my pieces. No. Harlow is the primary source we have for Gage. Harlow was a big believer in phrenology and the physical changes in Phineas's head shape would affect his personality under phrenology. However, Dr. Bigelow, the one from Harvard, said he was still essentially cured. He believed, though, that the hemispheres did not affect the personality at all. So they're both predisposed to believe very different things, and they're both using Phineas Gage as evidence to support their own bias. This was very common at the time to use one case to prove your point, just like it's a common thing to do on Facebook when saying you want to get ivermectin. Listen, all I know is that uh, my horses take ivermectin and none of them have COVID. It can't be a coincidence. It's also worth noting that Harlow's report, all the things I've said to you that Harlow said, were written immediately following his injury, but they weren't published until after his death. So most people don't realize that. The only things he wrote about later in his life were things like he couldn't keep a job, which was true after the epilepsy started. Yeah. But not between. For the nine years between getting injured and developing epilepsy, he only had two jobs, two real jobs. Uh, one was the stagecoach up north. One was the stagecoach in Chile. Who can honestly say that, except for you, that they've yeah. only had one or two jobs in nine years? Even now, back then, like, he was not, he was a laborer. Yeah. Um, Bigelow, though, Har Harlow knew him before the injury. Bigelow didn't. So Bigelow doesn't have the ability to compare before versus after. However, he could report that this guy seems normal to me. But we have a third doctor who was in Chile and was an American doctor where Phineas spent much of the last years of his life. He said Phineas was healthy, capable of driving a stagecoach and had total control over his mental faculties. The job requirements were reliability, resourcefulness, and a good attitude with excellent customer service. Phineas would maneuver stagecoaches with six horses on them plus customers that he'd have to interact with for 13 hours over 100 miles on any given day across terrible roads in all kinds of weather and in places that were like undergoing revolutions. He was driving through battles <laughs> and maintaining these horses and the calm of the people inside, meaning he had to stay calm and focused and keep everybody around him calm. Hardly the behaviors of somebody who is fitful and irreverent and erratic and unpredictable. Yeah. It's, I mean, like, honestly, I might be jumping ahead of you, which, you know, this is how it feels. But it sounds like this doctor is basing him, like, when he was recovering, and he probably just wasn't a very good patient. And was just like, I want to get up and do stuff. I feel fine. Why can't I do things? I feel attacked right now. Yeah. <laughs> damage to the frontal lobe requires therapy to regain capabilities. Like, you, it does damage some abilities depending on where you get hit, because we do know that to some extent, the part of the brain that is damaged can affect certain abilities. It is not as cut and dry as we learned in school. It's not definitely this spot controls this. And everything is connected. You build new connections. And so he saw him. He was mostly treating him before the connections were rebuilt. It was like him looking at a house that had gone through a tornado and been like, yep, that house is totaled. And it will always be totaled. I'm going to write a story about this totaled house and then never come to check on it after it was rebuilt. <laughs> My scene scrolled. Oh, no. So damage to the frontal lobe requires therapy to regain capabilities. 
Uh, but it was pointed out that his job as a stagecoach worker in Chile was so regimented that, and I'm quoting Wikipedia here, it, quote, resembles rehabilitation regimens first developed by Soviet neuropsychologist Alexander Luria for the reestablishment of self-regulation in World War II soldiers suffering frontal lobe injuries. Huh. So having this steady job with very specific expectations of him both in actual physical work and behavior was the equivalent of therapy for him. Now imagine what we can do with the actual therapies we have now if we really want to and have that kind of Phineas Gage attitude of, I just want to go back to work. I just want to live my life. Um, so what we learn in psychology, he was abusing his wife and children. Have I mentioned a wife and children? No. That's because he didn't have any. Oh. He was a rapist. No. He was impotent. No. He was incredibly impulsive to the point of committing crimes. No. He did move to Chile for a job. He was homeless. No. no. <laughs> he was a psychopath. He started exhibiting all the signs of psychopathy. No. At no point, even during, like, immediately after his injury. <laughs> he was actually pretty okay as time went on. Wikipedia has an entire section on this that they call theoretical misuse. My previous episodes on psychology showed everything I learned in school turned out to be false and used in the wrong way. And this one actually addressed it on Wikipedia, a resource we were never allowed to use in school. Coincidence? I think not. They say Phineas Gage is the foundation of our understanding of how the frontal lobe controls personality. We are taught that Phineas Gage had a total personality change because of his brain injury. He did briefly have a personality change because he had a brain injury that had just happened. Now, if you're sick, you don't act like yourself. This dude had a tamping iron go through his head. And on top of that, he had burns and like all kinds of stuff over his hands because he was holding the tamping iron too. Don't forget that. So he was injured. He didn't feel good. And his brain was like making misfires. He had restless leg syndrome. He wasn't sleeping. Like he's going to be grumpy. Some experts argue that this case should not be viewed as science, but folklore. Not because it didn't happen, because it did, but because it took something hard to explain and created a story around it. To this day, students are taught that personality exists in their frontal lobes and that frontal lobe damage must mean you are no longer the same person. Now, am I saying never means that? No, sometimes it does mean that. But Phineas Gage's personality actually didn't change like we were taught in school, like psychology professors were taught in school, like psychologists were taught in school. Just like the Kitty Genovese case and the bystander syndrome, what they were taught in school was based in no small part on myth and legend, surrounding a hard-to-explain story and the biases of opposing sides, one of which was just louder than the other. The part where he is into phrenology and only research only took care of him for a few months just overlooked. We have his medical papers. Now there are several other people who wrote in in contest to what Harlow said. Those have largely been dismissed because of reasons is kind of what it looked like. So I I don't understand why we do this though. Like we know better. We've seen all these different studies. We've seen all these different cases. Like the stuff that his mom talked about just overlooked and she she took care of him for years like not took care of him but he lived with her and then when he got sick and had moved back to california she moved to california to take care of him because he was getting sick again and his sister moved with her and they were saying he's fine other than having seizures he's fine like he, he's phineas he's a, he is the same phineas we they've overlooked all of this so the, like why why are why are we overlooking this is it just because we're so used to saying these things because it's an easy explanation are we oversimplifying something for the benefit quote-unquote of students kind of like how we teach reading do we understand the brain at all and for us to understand the brain does the brain itself have to become sentient and separate from us because it has become so is phineas gage and us digging in too deep actually a warning against truly understanding the brain end of tale i was following you right up until the end there if we under if the brain begins to understand itself too much, it doesn't have to become self-aware. It already named itself. It did. We Herald. can't we can't let it have more than it has currently. 
it's like, otherwise it will it, it, you know how we're all worried about like the robot uprising we've never thought about the brain uprising it's like that whole movie idle hands where his he has no control over his hand and so he's like please don't do things like this hand don't kill seth green and his hand's like fuck you motherfucker and kills seth green i think with a bottle it's been a long time um but like again like what if our brains become self-aware because we've learned too much about the brain and so we've got our personality and they're going brain please don't do this and our brain is like fuck you motherfucker and walks around trying to kill seth green yeah that 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 all tracks that makes perfect sense yeah there we go yeah so we if we really dig into phineas gage too much and we learn too much about the brain as a result seth green is at risk and we can't allow this to happen he is he is a treasure are you ready for some questions Yes, yes I am. <laughs> Will this be on the test? Phineas Gage survived his accident because he designed the tamping iron himself. Yeah, that'll be on the test. I never learned that in my three psych classes that all taught this. Reports of his fate are greatly exaggerated. Yeah, that'll be on the test. Anecdotes are not evidence. No, that will never be on the test. You can survive a frontal lobe injury and with appropriate therapies, possibly regain a lot of your normal abilities and personality. That should be on the test. Yep. And that is the story of Phineas Gage and my worry about Seth Green as a result. Wow. I feel like I got a special like trip into your mind, which is um, scarier than anything you said about the mind becoming self-aware. Yeah. My section on my worry about the self-aware brain was originally much longer. <laughs> Which, then I was like, this is not actually about Phineas Gage. Just keep it snappy and make people worry. So, you know, every, every once in a while, like, our stories kind of, like, mesh together in ex- fun and exciting ways. Sure. Well, mine is also kind of gruesome, with lots of gruesome details, and it takes place at about the same time. All right. It's like, we're talking, like... Is Seth Green at risk from yours, too? I'm afraid not. Actually, um, maybe. I'm trying to think of what movies Seth Green has been in. A lot. Well, if he's been in any movies about settlers, he might also be at risk. It's been a while since I've... Yeah. So anyway, as I was actually doing my research and writing all of this up, uh, Maddie and I were preparing for a big snowstorm. Now, big is big for here. Like, Kansas doesn't have the snow removal infrastructure that, like, Minnesota does. Boston. Or Boston. So, like, places, like, who get, like, oh, you guys are worried about four to eight inches of snow? That's hilarious. It's like, yeah, it's big for here. Yeah, and I will say our snow removal services kicked ass. Yeah, they did, they did a great they did a great job for this amount of snow. Much more than this, and they would have been in trouble because they well, can't like the it. original estimates were like up to fourteen inches. Yeah, and people were like, uh, "That's like roof collapsing levels around here." Yeah, we we are better we are better prepared for ice. Yeah. So anyway, as I sat in the grocery store parking lot and I saw the panicked chaos of suburbanites trying to buy enough groceries to survive being stuck at home for about a day and a half. <laughs> I thought about a time when people got snowed in and didn't have enough groceries and had to get creative. And I'm not talking about spaghetti with salsa creative, which, yes, I did make that. I was sober, and no, I do not recommend it. <laughs> I'm going to talk wait, about... Wait, what kind of cheese did you put on it? Uh, I don't think I put any cheese that's on it. Where you, that's where you went wrong. Oh my god, I should have put cheese on it. What yeah. kind of cheese? Um, for spaghetti with salsa, I, I would, would say cheddar. I'd probably do a mix of probably cheddar and mozzarella or cheddar and pizza cheese. Ooh, cheddar and mozzarella so you get the nice stringiness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you should try that again um, without me. Oh, no. I'm never trying that again. <laughs> so I thought, okay. In my defense, it's like, you know what? Is salsa really that different from spaghetti sauce? Yes. Yes, yes it is. Would you dip your chips in spaghetti sauce? Interesting. Okay. I know what we're doing once we're done with this. Ew. So anyway, I'm going to talk about time they got like... Even more creative than that, I'm going to talk about the Donner Party. A.K.A. a bunch of Wendigos. Now this, uh, the Donner Party was not taught at my school, uh, but I did hear about it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if it was actually taught. It must have been taught because I've known the whole story for too long for it not to have yeah, been taught. Yeah, because like, it was like just like secondhand knowledge I hear about this because it was a bunch of pioneers who got caught in a blizzard and had to resort to cannibalism. Yeah, it's a very sad story. But that was it. It was grisly, it was horrible, and it was exactly the kind of thing that an elementary school kid like me is going to remember for forever. I really hope you're going to get into the um, the people who were like, uh, guys, about it. I really hope you're going to talk about it. Yeah. So obviously I decided the perfect time to dive deep into the Donner Party and read all about the gruesome details of starvation, exposure, and cannibalism is during a snowstorm. Of course. So let's start off with like the super basics. 
Uh, the Donner Party were traveling west along the Oregon Trail to California in the years 1846 to 1847. Uh, there were 87 people, uh, mm-hmm. including women, men, women, children, even infants. Mm-hmm. They were in nine wagons, then left Independence, Missouri with a larger wagon train. They were just a part of this. They were a portion of so all I'm these stu- I'm stuck on 80-something people in nine wagons. Yeah. You cannot ford the river with that. <laughs> no. Uh now, the party was very inexperienced. They didn't have a lot of survival uh-huh. skills. Uh-huh. But they were well-provisioned. And But the thing is, they made a bunch of errors and mistakes that led to them getting snowbound. The big error, like, ab- above and beyond all of the other stuff, like them not really knowing how to deal with Native Americans or, like, having good guides or good pathfinding or just any, like, survival skills, was they took something called the Hastings Cutoff. Yeah, they decided that they knew a better way than what the guy at the gas station told them. Yeah. Uh, The usual route of the Oregon Trail went up into Wyoming through a mountain path path called the South Pass. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it was easy for wagons to get through. It was flat-ish. It was wide. It didn't snow over easily. And it was well-traveled. So there was like a clear trail and stuff was smooth and not overgrown, and you wouldn't have to worry as much about things like that. Yeah, in ideal conditions, it did take longer than the paths that they took, um, but that's still not worth it. No. Uh, but still, it also, but it was way north, and they were trying to go to Southern California, not like up north. So there was an explorer named uh, Lansford H- Hastings who found a cutoff that, put t- that took people much further south, through Utah and by the Great Salt Lake and into the Sierra Nevadas. Uh, he even printed leaflets that were handed out to settlers, like telling them about his his cutoff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a faster route. Well, it was not a faster route. Uh, you had to go through the Great Salt Lake Desert, where there wasn't really enough water and grass for your oxen. And, like, it wasn't as well-traveled. It was a worse pass. And there wasn't really a road. So you were making the road as you were going. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, the pass was much harder than the South Pass. It was steeper, mm-hmm. rockier, more windy. So it was not as good of a pass. And so, which, by the way, the, there was even a group leaving for this pass. And the Donners were going to join them. But they arrived a week late. So no, this the gr- Donners were, that wasn't their name. That was where they were, right? No, the Donners, no, it was the Donner Party. Te- technically the Donner Reed Party, because those were the guys leading it. The Donner Reed Party? Don- yeah, the Donner <laughs> Reed Party. It's... <laughs> has very little to do with Donna Reed. Very little, but not nothing. uh, People really forget the episode in which Donna Reed resorts to cannibalism. (laughs) It was only aired once. I feel like Donna Reed would have found that hilarious. I I would hope so. Maybe she's the ghost that's haunting us and she's just going to be really mad at me now. Donna Reed sounds like she's a pretty cool lady. She's one that's actually worth talking about. So the Donners, they were going to take this. They arrived late. So they didn't go with uh, Hastings, who led a group through it. They went on their own, and they took a slightly different path because they got lost. Are you going to mention the people who said, hey, guys, let's take the South Pass? That's part of their group? Yeah. Okay. Actually, importantly, their wagon train, people were told, avoid the cutoff at all costs. Take the South Pass. Yeah. All the experienced people in their wagon train did. The Donners said, fuck you. I know a shortcut. And they went. Except... For a few of them who were women who were like, guys, I think we should listen to the experienced people. And they were like, shut up, vagina havers. And they're like, no, seriously, we need to listen to the people who know what they're doing. Stop pretending you know what they're doing. And they're like, I know a shortcut. The guy, the gas station is wrong. And I think, didn't a few of them survive because they're like, fuck you guys. I'm either staying here or I'm going with the other group. Yeah. Like, and these were the women. These were not the men. Oh yeah. One of them was like an old lady who was like, I should have seniority, motherfuckers. So even though they were warned, uh, the Donner Party split off from the group heading north to the South Pass, so they went south to the Hastings Cutoff. And I can hear Maddie desperately trying to do geography in her head right now. Oh no, just when you, you start mentioning directions and geography, oh. I just start kind of going like, do 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 and listen when uh, you mention something else. Interestingly enough, uh, Hastings uh, would later go on to die in Brazil, trying to lead a bunch of former Confederates leaving the United States who were trying to form a settlement in Brazil. And Brazil was like, no, thank you. They, uh, the, the jungle was like, no, thank you. And they died horribly. 
Also, what the fuck is it with like racist like regimes that get toppled going to Brazil? Brazil is an interesting place. Yeah. So yeah, the cutoff was brutal, as they were warned. Uh, they were quickly using all of the supplies that they had with them through the desert and the difficult mountain terrain they were going through as they were having to make their own road through this pass. Uh, and as their supplies grew short, the various families grew, grew distrustful of each other, and they separated into several smaller independent groups. Uh, you see, this is this is how horror movies happen. Yeah. Even if you don't like oh, each other, you don't separate. We're not even getting to the horror movie. Like, here we go. If this is a horror movie, this is the inciting incident. No, the inciting incident is, we need a fresh start. Yeah. Well, this is like when the, like, it takes the turn. Yeah. Was uh, one man, Louis Kesselberg, and we're going to talk about him later, uh, kicked a 70-year-old man out of his wagon and forced him to walk. Yep. Uh, his The man's feet ended up splitting open from walking. Yep. And the Donner Party simply left him by a stream. Yep. None of them wanted to waste the resources helping a 70-year-old man. Uh, and, of course, even they were still going much slower and they should have been. And they were wanted to like be out of these mountains before winter. They were even so short in supplies that Reed uh, took a horse and went ahead with money to try and buy wagons and supplies to meet them in the mountains. Because they didn't think they could make it through the mountains with the supplies they had. And that was before they got snowed in. Yeah. They could have just, you know, gone to the place where he went to buy supplies and waited it out, but... <laughs> no, he went ahead. He was moving faster because he was on horseback and not having to cut a road for wagons. So yeah, they uh, didn't make it out of the mountains. An early blizzard caught them near Lake uh, Truckee, and they had to stop and make kind of emergency shelters. Uh, they, By the way, they are in northeastern California, just northwest of Lake Tahoe, and kind of next to where, like, the Nevada border makes that sudden turn to the east, like, in that little corner. They're, like, there. And this is when things start to get grim. Oh, this is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't great shelter. Like, they had made, they had some tents, and they found an abandoned shelter from some previous, like, settlers and pioneers that they were in. And they built some kind of wooden huts, but they were leaky, they were drafty, they weren't good. And so it was cold and it wasn't great, uh, and they didn't have food, and they were already almost starving, and now they were trapped, and it snowed a lot. Like, this winter, these mountains got about 22 feet of snow. Mm -hmm. uh, and meanwhile, Kansas literally shut down when we got four. Inches, not feet. Inches of snow. More, four inches of snow. Uh, early in November, they had some luck hunting and shot a bear, and um, as their oxen froze to death and starved, they were able to eat them, and use their hides to improve their shelters so they didn't leak as much. They are losing so many points on Oregon Trail right now. Yeah. Uh, the, the lake also didn't freeze over for a while. They tried to catch fish, but they were not successful in catching any of the lake trout. Uh, some of the men at this point did try to set out for help, but were driven back by another storm, and they lost a bunch of the livestock they'd taken with them. To, like, And they, those died and were lost in the snow. And they came back just—it was bad. Then December 16th, uh, 17 men, women, and children left on foot in improvised snowshoes made out of ox hide, sticks, and bones mm -hmm. to try and get help. Now, at this point, what the fuck else are you going to do? And not everybody had snowshoes, and people trying to walk without snowshoes were just falling too deep in the snow. It was hard for them because snowshoes basically uh, increased the surface area your feet take up so you don't sneak as deep into the snow. So the people without snowshoes were having to work much harder than the people with the snowshoes on. Mm -hmm. And they ended up like turning back or just dying. The survivors referred to this group that left as the Forlorn Hope. They were trying to get help for the other people back there. Uh, so they left. But after two days without food, they were snowblind and lost and they began to turn on each other. Uh, they discussed that someone should volunteer to die so that the others could eat them. And then threats of a duel broke out between some of the survivors. Uh, two native men who were hired to work for the Donners refused to engage in cannibalism and left the group. Yeah, no shit. However, shortly after this, they were found weak and nearly dead. So the rest of the party simply shot them in the head and ate them. Then another blizzard trapped them for several days. During this time, four more men died and were eaten by the survivors. Uh, but they made sure that nobody would have to eat a relative. How civil. Uh, some of the stronger members of the Forlorn Hope, again, left this group behind and went 
and went further like down to try and find help. They ran into a native settlement. Uh, the inhabitants were actually so frightened by their appearance that they initially fled when they saw them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did share their food with them that they had, and they got them to a ranch in the Sacramento Valley. And from there, they were able to get a party together to rescue the rest of the Forlorn Hope and get them in and start arranging a rescue party for the rest <laughs> of the settlers up there. So there's rescue parties upon rescue parties. Like there's there's going to be a bunch of rescue parties sent up for them. And oof. So yeah, their journey out of the mountains, by the way, for the Forlorn Hope took 33 days. Uh, and after that, uh, James Reed, who went ahead before they got trapped in the snow, was able to raise some money after this group got out. Finally, they got about $1,300. Uh, to buy supplies and, like, hire people to go up into the mountains to try and bring them food and, like, clothing. Because they didn't really have good winter clothing either. And by the time that James Reed and this these rescue parties managed to get up there, 13 more people had died. And the survivors were so emaciated that the rescuers were afraid they would eat too much and kill themselves. Yeah, and that is a real thing. Yeah. If somebody is starving, you can't just put a Thanksgiving meal in front of yeah. them. Uh, one, actually, uh, one young man, William Hook actually did break into the food supplies that they bought and did gorge himself to death. His stomach exploded. Yes. Yeah. Uh, from this, from the survivors, 23 people were strong enough to leave with the rescue party. Uh, 21 people were left behind. Either they were too weak to move or they were staying with someone who was too weak to take care of themselves. A second relief effort was quickly organized and went up for them. Uh, by the time it got there, no one else had died, but the sights they reported were disturbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a man was they approached was seen carrying a human leg, but when he saw the relief party, he threw it into a hole with the dismembered body of Jacob Donner, who had uh, died early on because he cut his hand and it <laughs> got infected. These guys are so bad at Oregon Trail. So bad at Oregon Trail, uh, and apparently the uh, his his wife had been feeding their children his organs to keep them healthy. I mean, uh, again, she, she hadn't eaten any of her husband and was nearly blind from malnutrition. Yeah. So again, what else are you going to do? Isn't she one of the ones who tried to talk him out of it? It's been a while since I've yeah. learned about it, but she, her name's Elizabeth, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth Donner was like, guys, we, you do we, this. Th- we, this is a bad idea. And he was like, I am your husband. And she's like, shit, it's the 1800s. Yeah. The entire camp smelled awful mm-hmm. between the unwashed bodies. Cause they were just basically laying in their own filth and hovels. Uh, eating human bodies. They were in shelters made of rotting ox hide. So this like... Yeah, they didn't even... They didn't know how to treat the ox hide. You don't just like... Yeah. And even if they did, they didn't have anything with them to actually treat it. Yeah, I know. Like they... These people were not prepared. Yeah. Uh, Then after the second... The second relief party came in, uh, only five people were left after that. They managed to get everyone out except for five people. And we're going to talk about uh, Kesselberg again. Uh, He was the last of the Donner Party... And when the third relief party arrived, they found him caked in filth, surrounded by human bones next to a steaming pot full of human organs. Uh, He confessed to eating dead party members and was accused of murder. The charges were eventually dropped because they couldn't prove he murdered people. But they're fairly certain that he did, in fact, kill two children Mm -hmm. to eat them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, he... Yeah, he ate children. Uh, well, I mean, he's, I don't think, the only he one here. He bragged did. about having eaten but, human flesh. Yeah, like, but then there's that. The rest, because, like, most of them, like, were kind of in shock for the rest of their fucking lives afterwards. And he was like, yeah. I ate the people. He described uh, a child's liver as the sweetest morsel he'd ever tasted. This guy was a fucking Wendigo, wasn't he? Yeah. You talked about that. That was oh, something yeah. from an episode a while back. Yep. Um, uh, and uh, anyway, one of the, uh, one of the fathers of one of the children he killed and ate uh, said that if he ever saw Kesselberg in California, he would kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, stories about Kesselberg would strut around for many years after the Donner Party, and they would got more and more gruesome as time went on. And part of it was, and this makes it really hard to tell which is true and which is false with this guy, because he might not have said that, because there was a Dutch man pretending to be him telling gruesome stories in order to get drinks at bars. So we don't know how much it's true or not. Uh, you know, Kesselberg actually ended up filing a defamation suit mm-hmm. against the surviving Donny Par- Donner Party members because of these stories about him, which, again, they were also dropped because, you know, he could not prove it. It's it's weird. There's lots of lawsuits that happened. But he uh, did eventually died in a home for the destitute in 1895. 
of the 87 people who left Independence, Missouri, only 48 survived. It's hard enough to survive Independence, Missouri without adding yeah. cannibalism in. Now, about only about half of the survivors did ever resort to cannibalism. Uh, most of them um, either rationed supplies well enough or they ate boiled leather and animal skins. They would dig up roots and eat those. They ate grass. They were malnourished, but they survived until they were rescued. Like, again, so only about half of them ever resorted to cannibalism. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things where it's kind of hard to judge them at the same time. Because uh, it's like, as long as they weren't running around murdering people, like, maybe Kesselberg. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is the part that was most surprising for me. Uh, the survivors did really well for themselves after this. Because this was in, like, you know... 1846, 1847. And then in 49, we had the gold rush. So they were in California in the area of the gold rush before the gold rush happened. They were established. They were able to profit off of the gold rush very well as like some of the like established and they were kind of famous too. So they did well. They did real well. Like uh, the recent widows managed to be remarried within months uh, by the way, uh, happy Valentine's Day, single listeners. <laughs> These cannibal widows uh, got remarried within months after like this. So, yeah. It, it also helped that California at the time was a real sausage fest. There weren't a lot of women. Uh-huh. There were lots of single men and not a lot of women. Yep. Uh, yeah, they went on to be business owners, politicians, like congressmen, mm-hmm. uh, sheriffs of like you know, various levels of law enforcement. There are actual streets in San Jose named after survivors from the Donner Party. No, it is yeah. funny. Like, we talk about them as if they were evildoers, where <laughs> they were just scared and starving, and yeah. people around them were dead and being preserved by the snow, so they weren't oh. rotting. And also, just to, like, one of those facts that makes that blows my mind, because time, um, the last surviving member of the Donner Party didn't die until 1935. Mm-hmm. So our parents, our grandparents were alive at the same time as members of the Donner Party. When was their ex- expedition? Uh, 1846, 1846. Yeah, because you said there was infants. Yeah, she was one when they got trapped, so she was itty-bitty, but still. And she survived that Yeah. into adulthood, which means probably minimal brain damage from the malnutrition. Oh, yeah. Granted, she was probably still breastfeeding at the time if she was uh, one. Maybe, I don't know. And see, that's one of the things where they talk about like breastfeed until they're 38 years old. Yeah. It's for places where malnourishment is common. So, uh... By the way, the lake the lake they camped next to was renamed Donner Lake, mm-hmm. which uh, hilariously my phone uh, auto corrected that to Dinner Lake. I'm gonna share that with you <laughs> that little fact, and uh, and people would find human bones scattered around this area for years and years after this, mm-hmm. uh, and also one person dug up a box full of money that they think uh, one of them had buried out there just to keep people from finding it, and they were planning on coming back to get it later. So someone had been looting the bot, looting the corpses for cash, and then buried the money to come back. Oh, for. I thought you were talking about one of the Donner Party members. Yeah, that, oh. one of the Donner Party members buried some cash. Lots up there. of poor decisions being made. So much poor, so many poor decisions. And uh, it is currently a state park in California, and you can go camping at it. So is it haunted? Oh, I'm sure it's haunted. <laughs> Why do you never look into this part of the story, Austin? Because I need something. This is something for the listeners to surprise themselves with. I want them to go on and learn more. I just didn't think about it being haunted until you actually mentioned it. Every time, Austin. I just Every don't, time. My brain doesn't go straight to it's haunted. I'm not like you. My brain doesn't go straight to it's haunted, but if there's, you know, cannibalism happening, chances are there's some haunting happening. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the Donner Party. So, I guess next time you see a meme about people buying bread and milk in a panic right before a snowstorm, think, well, at least they probably aren't going to resort to cannibalism. Probably. And if you are with somebody or near somebody or have somebody in your life who you believe may eventually be a cannibal, apparently one of the things to do is get lots of tattoos because it doesn't take... Oh, good to know. And human tastes like pork. So, are you ready for questions? Mm-hmm. All right, well, the fact that not all the Donner Party resorted to cannibalism be on the test... Yeah, we're kind of taught the everybody did it. Yeah. Will the fact that they were already on the verge of starvation when they got trapped in the snow be on the test? Yeah. Uh, will the fact that women who had recently eaten the corpses of their husbands were considered super eligible, ba- eligible bachelorettes be on the test? I mean, that's how I nagged you. Wait, what? Oh, no. <laughs> is, that why you do- is that why you don't cook anymore? Because you've 
You'll only cook human flesh now. <sighs> I'm going to plead the fifth on this one. I never said I cooked him. That's true. I've seen you cook. It was probably pretty raw. <laughs> Please, you know that I have the opposite problem. <laughs> I set the fire alarm off big time today. Yep. Yeah. All right. So lots of... People trying to make their way across the country in one way or another, having horrible things happening to them, and then thriving afterwards, no matter what the folklore has become. Yeah. Okay, there is no way that at least a few of the survivors didn't, like, go mad afterwards. Oh, I'm sure they did, but it's like, this was olden times, so it's like, like, oh. You know, Elizabeth Donner, like, there at night thinking about feeding her children, her husband's liver, and hoping they never find out that's what they were eating. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like, it's just wild. Like, we just all I know is that there was cannibalism with the Donner Party, and then I learned more, and the stuff I learned more is crazy. I, this was a fun one to research for me. I think we, we both had a good time researching we ours. did, yeah. Especially because I was sitting at home drinking hot chocolate, looking out at snow, typing about people starving to death and freezing. Sorry, my brain is now on a true crime case about cannibalism where she was planning on serving the father to the children. She wasn't Ooh. their mom. <laughs> And she had his body, like, on display and set the table with stew dad. Ew. The kids weren't home, luckily, and the whole thing was found by someone else. <laughs> but that's, that's good. I think that one was in Australia. If that's true, if I'm right on thinking that Australia, y'all have the crazy ones. Like, we just have your standard cannibals and serial killers. Australia, the has... only thing y'all ain't got is Israel Keys. Oh man, Australia's Australia's a wild place. But I was like, I think Australia's also exaggerated how wild it is just to keep Americans from going there, which is a very smart move by Australia in general, by the way. I mean, we know for sure that the serial killers in Australia existed. Yeah. Paul Onions made sure that we are aware. <laughs> oh, Paul Onions. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of true crime, guys, so. I, and I keep wanting to like, I'm going to talk about this true crime case. I'm like, that's not really something we should learn about in school. Although there are a few true crime cases that are on my list. Okay. Like the accuracy uh, issues that came up with certain other podcasts that did Leo Frank. I feel the need to rectify the situation. Leo Frank, um, that's uh, any relation to Lisa Frank, the binder person? Not to my knowledge, but he did run a pencil factory. Ooh. Um, but no, he didn't have any kids. So if they are related, it's not that direction. So... Where can people find us? They can find us um, either at home being toasty and not being cannibals. I got an electric blanket, so I'm good. Uh, but they can also find us online on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the test pod, on Twitter at on the test pod, on Instagram at on the test pod, and our website on the and also on TikTok. Yes, I am having a little too much fun with TikTok. Uh, I filmed one right before we started recording, and I'm going to post it here in a little bit. But by the time you listen to this, that will have been in the past. Uh, I recently posted a video of the inside of the ceiling that's attached to the haunted wall. So it goes kind of down towards the haunted wall. And um, it's real gross in there. <laughs> um, so I'm having too much fun with TikTok. So come see me and sometimes Austin on TikTok on the test pod. We are available on every podcast platform. I've never really understood why we tell you that because you are currently listening. Yeah, it's like if you're hearing this, you're already listening to us. But if you have not rated and reviewed and subscribed, make sure you do those things. And if you have not done so, especially on Apple Podcasts, that would be a big help. Um, I actually have some old phones, like iPhones sitting around that I use strictly to review other podcasts because I know <laughs> how much it matters. And we've been sitting at 14 reviews for a minute, guys. Come on. Yeah. And we're at 4.8 stars because somebody decided to give us four, but they didn't write a review. Um, monster. Also, be cool. I don't think yeah. I've ever not given a five-star review. Oh, I've given... I have, but usually it's because they've said something's crazy stupid. Um, like Joe Rogan saying the N-word 24 times in 23 seconds. Like, yeah. one-second long clips. Yeah. It's like... I'm, I, I I'm, think I would give that a, a lower review. Oh, God, Joe Rogan. Yeah, as you're listening to this, if you're listening in the future, right now is the time when the artists are leaving Spotify because they're just done with Joe Rogan's misinformation, except for India Ari, who was like, yeah, no, she's like, yeah, that's right. He should not be allowed to do that. But here's the other stuff they're letting him do. And she played a series of clips of him saying the N-word. And she goes, I get that you can have things twisted out of context on social media, blah, blah, blah. She's like, but in what context does he have the right to just use the word? Ugh. So... 
Like, you and I cuss a lot in here. We do not oh, do we slurs. Oh, we fucking do. We do not do slurs because that's... I feel like I shouldn't have to say this. Using slurs is wrong. Agreed. <laughs> I feel like these are not things I should have to say in the year I 2022. I, uh, I feel like you've made fun of me for being Swedish by making Swedish chef noises on this podcast. That's not a slur. So, no, canceled. canceled. Not a slur. Canceled. Not a slur. Canceled. So you're saying we're not going to be back in two weeks on Tuesday? We are going to be back in two weeks. Well, he'll be back in two weeks because he has decided I am canceled. Hashtag problematic. <laughs> yeah, because you've never made fun of me for any of my background. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we're going to go duke it out, see which one of us is canceled. So on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed. Bork, bork, bork. <laughs>